This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler. Welcome to episode 266, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. If you took a map of western Newfoundland and overlaid it with all the areas affected by current development proposals, it would almost be totally covered. On the port port Peninsula and Caudroy Valley, more than 300 wind turbines and all the roads and infrastructure needed to tie them into a hydrogen to ammonia plant in Stephenville. That plant would be a huge water guzzler, as will an expanded hatchery making smolts for fish farms on the south coast. Farther south, near Isle of Mort, the beginning of a string of gold mines that may soon extend all the way northeast to Gander Bay. And now the release by the provincial government of a five-year forestry plan covering the cutting of areas in Zone 6 from Grossmore National Park all the way down the coast and across to Burgio. Will there be any natural areas left for us or for future generations? That was the concern of people who showed up at a public meeting held in Stephenville last week, hosted by Indian Head First Nation. Attendees expressed their fear and frustration at so much happening so fast and their lack of power to have any impact on what's happening on their land and water. But there are makings of a plan led by Indigenous people. Our guests this week are the meeting organizers, Chief Byron Alexander and Band Administrator Jasmine Jesso of the Indian Head First Nation. Byron, maybe we could start with you and let's give listeners uh, an inventory of all the things development-wise that is going on on our territory in Western and um, Southwestern Newfoundland. Great, Glenn. It's honestly, it's hard to keep track uh, there's so many projects coming at us right now from each direction that, uh, wow, we're just kind of flabbergasted and we kind of feel that this is all kind of uh, being pressured on us very quickly under deadlines for a lot of these projects. Uh, Maui, for one, being an example, that's uh, Indian Head uh, Salmon Hatchery down here in the West Coast. Uh, they're looking at expanding right now and doubling uh, their production of salmon smolts. And through that would be the doubling of the water consumption too. It's hard, man, because uh, we're getting uh, information, but it's not really in our language. So when they tell us about water, they'll say squared meters, mm. where the average person is not going to understand a lot of this uh, language. Like, you know, what is that liters or gallons? But for what we're putting together right now, they're using approximately 1.6, 1.7 billion liters of fresh water a year. And that's about to double. So uh, that's very concerning to us. Um, on the West Coast, of course, we've had some water problems the last year or so, local people. So that's something we need to look into further. Uh, that was due last week. So we've got some uh, papers gone out to the minister on that. We also have the forestry, five-year forestry plan. I think that's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back then. Uh, people were kind of taking everything in stride with uh, world energy, uh, Maui, 
uh, other things on board. And then with the forestry plan, it kind of got sprung on us so quickly. It kind of pushed people overboard as far as an environment and mountains coming at us at one time. And speaking of water, of course, uh, you mentioned the, the World Energy Project, which is not only more than 300 uh, wind turbines uh, on the Port of Port Peninsula, Codroy Valley, but in Stephenville, that will also be drawing on the uh, on the water in Stephenville because they need a lot of water for their um, for their process. And of course, uh, when you get down to a little further southwest down Isle of Morts, that's where the the string of gold mines starts. So uh, add add that to uh, to everything else. Now, Jasmine, uh, on September thirteenth, uh, Indian Head First Nation hosted a meeting in Stephenville at the uh, CNA uh, building there. Tell us about that meeting. Um, It was great. Our purpose of that meeting was to bring um, not just our band members, but uh, members within our community together to um, educate them on what cumulative effects is. So we, excuse me. We did a presentation on cumulative effects and what that means. It's like action versus reaction. So what what we do as human beings, any action that we take, whether it be um, to go plant a tree or to cut down a bunch of trees, that would be a cumulative effect. To go and plant trees, the cumulative effect may be you'll have more plants in the future. It may uh, make more homes for wildlife. If you went and cut the works of the trees down, that could um, cause damage for homes that live in those areas because they wouldn't have the wind block from those trees anymore. So that would be like the end outcome of an action how does that affect the people in the area and the environment essentially land it's cause and effect and a cumulative effect just for example the the further what jasmine is saying uh right now we have windmills going to cape st george uh we have a hydrogen plant supposed to go in Stephenville. we have ammonia storage supposed to go out towards tree rivers we have more windmills going in conroy so all these projects are having individual environmental assessments a cumulative effects would look at how was the whole Bay St. George affected by all of these industries coming together under one. Mm. So it's really important to understand that there's micro scales of the little environmental assessment doing, but on a on an overview of the entire Bay St. George, you know, we've also got the gypsum mine out of Port Port Two. We have to consider that uh, the salmon hatchery. So you know, are these industries actually talking to each other and saying, you know? how is this all going to come together as one? And that's where accumulative effects would come in, looking at the overall picture. Mm. Yeah, to make sure that our resources are sustainable for generations to come, right? Because when you're just doing an individual environmental assessment per company or per, per project, that doesn't take into effect on, like Byron said, what they all use together. So mm-hmm. all of them together, is that going to be able to sustain our resources and be feasible for generations to come? And I think a, a lot of times we don't uh, we we don't take into account uh, things like uh, on the forestry plan, for example, when we uh, drive the the Trans Canada out there, you you look off in the distance and you see these uh, these clear cuts, uh, these blocks that uh, are just like cut right out of the woods there. But I was reading in the um, 
in the forestry, uh, the five-year plan, and I, I was surprised that uh, they have a section in there on site preparation before what they do before they they plant trees. And they say that mechanical site preparation involves using heavy equipment, a skidder, equipped with special attachments to reduce the thickness of the duff layer, which I guess is the organic uh, layer on top, uh, and remove or disturb any calmia, which is, uh, I guess, shrub, which would uh, restrict seedling growth. And then it says treatment to prepare these sites have that have been overgrown with hardwoods and other herbaceous species has been done with herbicides. So here you have the, the forestry people, not only are they cutting down the trees, but when they're going out to plant, they're using herbicides to, um, you know, to stop the, the shrubbery from growing. So, uh, you know, we shudder to think what happens to those herbicides leaching into the ground and, uh, and spreading. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that we don't take into account, I guess, when we're talking about these big projects. Exactly right, Glenn. And again, that's where the cumulative effects assessment comes in. And we're actually pushing for an indigenous-led cumulative effects assessment, not allowing these companies to do it on their own, but working in conjunction with First Nations to make sure this all comes from a good place and sustainable for the next seven generations. Yeah, we need to start looking at things more in a two-eyed seeing approach. So we're taking our um, Indigenous knowledge and we're taking our Western knowledge and we're taking the best of both and bringing them together to make something new. So let's go back to your meeting in uh, in Stephenville. Uh, I understand you had about 60 people there. And where did they, where were they from? Were they from the local Stephenville area or from all over? First of all, the reason the, the meeting wasn't planned, Glenn, but uh, we were getting so many phone calls and emails uh, from people within an entire Bay St. George area upset and uh, just trying to figure what's going on with our resources and, and why so many uh, mega projects are coming into Bay St. George so fast. And uh, so we kind of called an emergency meeting. Uh, we had people even called crying. I mean, very upset. Uh, so we decided to call the meeting and put it out, not just to any of First Nations membership, but to all of Bay St. George, because it does affect us all. And we had people as far as uh, from Cape St. George, Piccadilly to Port of Bass, Codroy, people from the entire area were quite shocked at the turnout we got. What do they want to see, the people who came to the meeting? Did they have other specific things that they, they think would be good for this current moment? Well, for a lot of people, I, I think you're just so upset that there were so many things coming at one time. Uh, a lot of people uh, really didn't understand about all the multi-projects that were coming here. So what we feel as Indigenous leaders, our job is to educate our people and then to be the voice of our people. So at the end of that session, I think the takeaway was that most people didn't have the knowledge that all these multi-projects were going on. They were kind of focused on that main one that was in within their territory. And then basically uh, the main takeaway is that we need indigenous-led cumulative effects assessments on all these projects in Newfoundland. Uh, right now, people just don't really feel that our governmental departments are handling this the way it should be on the best interests of the people within these territories. So it's kind of funny. It seems like a lot of people, even non-Indigenous people coming to our meetings are looking towards Indigenous leadership to stand up and to help take back and manage our resources, not just for Indigenous people, but for Native Newfoundlanders also. We're all in this together. So we don't like the, we feel and we hope that 
people who are not indigenous would look to the indigenous leaders as being the custodians and the stewards of the resources for everybody. By the time that we actually find out about these projects, the deadline's really coming in fast, right? Mm. So a lot of people had mentioned, why doesn't the government take these projects and broadcast it over the radio or on television or something just to let people know that what is coming and what they could prepare for and to help educate themselves so they have enough time to make an informed decision on what's going on in our communities. And a lot of these things uh, seem to get uh, released in the summertime uh, when uh, people are at the cabin with a deadline for, um, in terms of the wind energy uh, proposal, for example, the environmental impact statement on that, the the government issued that in August with a deadline to respond by October the, the 11th. And, you know, there are like 4,000 pages in that document. So here we are as uh, not like the, the companies that have staff, but as, you know, nonprofit volunteer organizations have to struggle through that and, and um, get on top of it in a very short time. Especially when it's written in a language that you don't understand, right? Yes, very technical yeah. language. And uh, Glenn, we, uh, myself and Chief Shana of Port of Port Mi'kmaq Band actually uh, made an appointment to go see Chief Mitchell uh, last week. And we met with Chief Mitchell, uh, Sherry Dean, and Vice Chief uh, Jenny Brake to express our concern of everything going on so fast, these deadlines and uh, said that we would like to see an indigenous led human effects assessment on all these projects within our territories. Uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, and they said that they would bring it to the board to uh, have a vote and see if we could pass a motion to actually get that put in place to kind of slow things down here so we get our, our ground grounding. So that was great. Yes. We'll see. So perhaps that will be on the, the next uh, Halibut Council meeting is in Stephenville at the Days Inn on September the 23rd. So maybe uh, people who are in the uh, area can attend at the Days Inn and hear that discussion about the Indigenous-led cumulative effects assessment. And how do, how do you see that, um, that working? Who would do it? And um, would there be funding for it? And what, what are the logistics do you think would be involved there? Well, actually, we've already taken action on this uh, quite some time ago. Um, so one of the things we done, we actually got a hold of a company called CE Analytics. And this is basically what they do. So uh, we figured a good starting point was to do a basically a baseline simulation of Newfoundland uh, pre-European contact. Uh, for where did the environment stand? Where is it to now? And we're kind of looking the future. So we've already talked to a company who have actually come in and basically lay all out for us so that we have a starting point of where do we stand right now as far as cumulative effects? Where were we? Where are we now? And with a simulation project, where can it go? Hmm. So I uh, know there is government funding out there for that. We are trying to access some right now as far as any First Nation go. But uh, really hoping that uh, everybody's going to come on board with this. I mean, as Indigenous leaders, again, you know, our role is to look after environment Mother Earth for the next seven generations. So this is almost key and instrumental for that to happen. So I as you have... yes, oh, Jasper. Sorry. No, go we ahead. actually um, met the people from CE Analytic back in uh, February, I believe. Mm -hmm. We went out to central Newfoundland and we did um, a cumulative effects 
course for guardians, practitioners, and earth keepers. So that's where um, we got the ball rolling with this simulation uh, proposal. So now we need the uh, the funding to uh, to make it happen. There's a lot going on. Uh, you mentioned all the stuff, uh, Byron, that we have going on in the territory, the, the windmills, the ammonia plant, um, forestry, mining, uh, all at the same time, a bit overwhelming. And uh, it sounds like uh, some of the people at the meeting there were feeling the stress of this, uh, all this stuff coming at us at one time. Uh, so how did you feel after the meeting? Uh, do you feel you know, overwhelmed, optimistic, uh, what do you think, um, how do you think things are going to unfold? We are feeling very optimistic. Uh, the response we got after the meeting was absolutely outstanding. Uh, the remarks we got after the phone calls, uh, the emails, uh, it's, it's actually, it's amazing. And, and the funny thing about this, Glenn, is that it's not just an indigenous population, it's it's pretty much just concerned citizens are looking towards us to basically help take the reins and, you know, find the right path forward. So the amount of support that we have and we've gotten after that meeting, it's absolutely astronomical. So it's, uh, it's kind of turning into a movement, to be honest with you. And there was a lot of emotion at the meeting. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of different dynamics within the room, especially um, for perspective wise, but it was a very, um, it felt like a very respectful, safe space for people to come in and open up and just express how they were feeling and have a conversation about it. And what were, what would you say were, were the different dynamics in the, in the room? Well, people from all over, right? And everybody's fighting their own fight. And sometimes when you're in your own fight, you're kind of fighting your own people at the same time, right? So I think it was just a nice place for everybody to just come together and be united instead of uh, having any sort of divide there. Right. So if people want to stay in touch with what's going on, I guess the best uh, place for them to go would be uh, Jasmine, the Indian Head First Nation uh, Facebook site. Um, yep. Our Facebook page, Indian Head First Nations. And we also have a website. Um, it's a little outdated right now, but we're trying to bring it back. So whatever new stuff we're going to post on Facebook, we'll also post it on the website. So people who don't have Facebook can access it as well. And the website is ihfn.ca. Great. Well, thanks so much for being a part of the effort to defend our, our land and water. So um, great to see you. And thank you very much, uh, Byron and Jasmine. Thank you so much, Glenn. Well, thanks well, for having us. Thank you. Chief Byron Alexander and Band Administrator Jasmine Jesso of the Indian Head First Nation. And that's it for the program. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And introducing our new website, Mi'kmaqMatters.com. The Mi'kmaq Matters team is producer Allison Baker, correspondent Greg Jaynes, and researcher Hillary McInnes. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Have some